Welcome to Ministry Strong with Lisa Whittle, where ministry matters so much that a co-host and I have conversations to help strengthen and encourage ministry leaders to serve Jesus with integrity for the long haul. And we don't shy away from the tough issues about culture and the church. Talking with Irene Rollins today, pastor, coach, wife, mom, and author and of Reframe Your Shame, Experience Freedom from What Holds You Back. Hi, Irene. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for being with me. So Joel and I talked about addictions in ministry this week, and I knew you were the perfect person to have on to talk about this further because you pastor along with your husband and lead a church, but also you've struggled with alcohol. So can you talk about that for a minute? Just give some context for the listeners who might not know your journey with alcohol. And I know that it's been a long one. Sure. So I didn't grow up in the church, grew up Catholic, um, exposed to alcohol at a young age, 10 years old. I was helping myself once a day to my dad's uh, Guinness, went to boarding school, abused alcohol all through my teens, found Jesus at about 21, met my husband, stopped drinking, popped out babies, by the, and we served his parents' ministry okay. as a pastor. And I um, did all the business administration for about 12 years. My husband and I relaunched their church in 2012. And uh, we n- called our church I-5 City. That church was amazing. But along with the growth, along with everything we prayed for, um, which was salvations and staff and resources came responsibility mm-hmm. and also came pressure. Mm-hmm. And we had three kids. And at the time, we did not realize how dysfunctional our marriage was because our dysfun- no- we had normalized our dysfunction. <laughs> it was yeah. our normal. Um, and at, during about 2010, I had in- reintroduced alcohol back into my life um, when we were on vacation. And over a six-year period of time, as ministry was growing, as responsibilities were growing, betrayal, deaths in the church, all yep. of the stuff that is part of normal life and real leadership. stuff, real leadership stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, betrayal, people quitting, you know, us having to fire people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm such a feeler. And I I and I'm codependency is also something I'm in recovery from. So I was taking care of everyone else and never, and completely neglecting myself Mm. in my misery. I began to medicate with alcohol. Didn't realize this whole addiction dependency, the slope of addiction thing. So over a six year period of time, I went from casual drink drinking to habitual to dependency and then into addiction. When addiction took over, my husband gave me an ultimatum and said, you need to go to rehab or I'm leaving you. Mm. And this is all in the midst of leading a church. And we kept- What year was this that he gave this ultimatum? 2015. Okay. November of 2015 is when I got sober and I hit rock bottom and ended up in rehab, which Mm. was the best thing that ever happened to me. In the moment, felt like I had ruined everything. I had suicidal ideations. I was like, "There's the church would be better off without me. My kids, Jimmy, he can find another woman who will support him better than I can. I just was just full of toxic shame at that point about my condition. Um, Yeah. And so we were able to keep it quiet. And this is why it wasn't plastered on billboards because 
thank you, Jesus. I didn't have a DUI. I didn't have, I was a functional alcoholic drank, binge drank at night, um, typically, um, unless I had a day off and I was home drinking all day, <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, I was able to hide it for the most part. I didn't do a lot of public speaking. I just worked for the church in the background. Um, so our pastors, cause every pastor needs a pastor put us on uh, sabbatical and we were, had mandatory counseling every week. And even, and it, things got worse after that three month sabbatical. Um, and that's when Jimmy gave me the ultimatum and I went to rehab. But here's why, I mean, oh goodness, you know, and so much of this I read in the book, Reframe Your Shame, but here's what struck me as you were talking, Irene, I was thinking about the ministry leaders that are listening to this right now. And they're, they're seeing a picture of themselves in whatever way, maybe it's not the alcohol, but they're thinking to themselves, this is me. I'm in the middle of ministry, which is hard. So I am, you know, I've got the complaints. I've got the struggle with the staff members. I've got people leaving right and left. I'm trying to get people to come back to church after the pandemic and nobody wants to show up in person anymore. So that's a whole other thing. And I'm navigating that. And, you know, I, I want people to tithe and, you know, I mean, all of the things that are very real. And if, even if it's not church ministry, it's, you know, I want to lead online or, you know, I, I'm trying to navigate, you know, how to be a leader and talk about things when other leaders fall from their positions. And what does that look like? I'm afraid of getting canceled. I mean, there's a million things. And so honestly, in this culture, to not go to a dark place or to not want to numb out is such a daily pull. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was thinking about why it's so important to talk about things like this, because and it's really why I even ever started ministry strong. I mean, there's something that I put on my heart when my father died in 2017, after watching this man from a front row seat, I read my whole life. And I saw this man with such charisma and all these gifts. And I thought, you know, I, I ha- I'm responsible with what I know, with what I know and what I watched and what I observed and what it, what the scramble looks like and what sort of this, this secrecy culture is when you feel like you have no one, you feel like you can trust no one, but it's killing our leadership to have secrets about these vices that we have. Yeah. Why do you think that we, we develop this idea that we have to keep secrets rather than be real. I mean, I ha- I'll tell you, I will tell you my thoughts on this, but I would love to hear your thoughts as a, as a pastor and someone who's been in leadership. Well, first of all, I quit blaming other people. I think that majority of the time we put that pressure on ourselves to like be lack of boundaries. Well, yeah. And to be perfect and have it all together. Okay. Like our church congregations, majority of the people, when we say we need to take a sabbatical or take a vacation, they're not mad at us for doing that. They want us to get rest and 
be healthy. Let me ask you a question though, because I know someone's thinking, okay, wait, wait, Irene, you don't know, you don't know the people that I serve. If I buy a new car, they're mad at me, mm-hmm. or they are judging what I'm spending my money on. Or mm-hmm. if I take a vacation, they think, oh, well, they're out of the pulpit again, or whatever. The- so how do you deal with that though? I think it's honoring yourself. It's really checking to see, am I codependent? Could it be (laughs) that I have boundary issues because of codependency? Like, so codependency was the root of my addiction. We, if we really break it down, whatever, whoever the listeners here, all of us are susceptible of falling flat on our faces and abusing something, person, place, thing to, to numb out from stress and all of that. All of us have the propensity to fall into addiction of any sort, but before there was addiction, it's our, a way of thinking that could be incorrect. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to really dig deep and examine that, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm codependent. I'm not crazy. I care more about what others think. I care more. I have others esteem. I esteem myself based off of what others think of me. Um, I'm drowning, but I'm worried about the person next to me and saving their life. Um, codependency looks like just taking care of everyone else and not honoring yourself. So if I'm not honoring myself and I don't know myself, I'm not connected with myself enough. I don't know what my needs and my wants are. That's what codependents do. We don't express our needs and wants. Um, and when we're in that position, of course, we're going to look to others to determine how we feel about a situation. Mm. So I venture to say ministry leaders, organization leaders is get emotionally healthy, become Mm. self-aware part of being emotional, growing in your emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence is learning how to manage stress, flexibility, your interpersonal relationships, self-awareness, like, and then really um, taking care of your own needs and wants. So you should be able to, I don't want to say should, because I don't like to should all over people, but um, when we are self-aware, we can reality test something and say, is this something that I need? Is it something that I want? And how am I going to ask for it or express that this is something that I require? Like rest, mm. like, you know, whatever it is, having a boundary, like we're more valuable to our congregations when we say no. When we have a boundary and we think that we're more, we sometimes can believe the script that we're, we have to be available 24 seven all the time. No, when I have a boundary and I say, you know what, I have to, I'm at my son's soccer game. So I'm turning my phone off for two hours. It's okay. I'm showing the congregation that actually I, family comes before ministry. Our marriages and our families preach the greatest gospel message there is. Yeah. (laughs) it speaks of reconciliation and union. So anyway, I could go on and on about that, but Mm. um, I just say, take responsibility of the script. You know, as as you were talking, I was thinking, I wonder how many codependent folks are in ministry right now. (laughs) Like there's a bunch, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because of you know, I think, I think there's this, this sort of natural heart and desire to serve and love people. And a lot of people love relationships. That's why they go into ministry as well. But I think this is really interesting. One of the things that I've always believed and thought and also said out loud is I think that everybody before they take a church or a pastorate or 
lead a ministry should have required counseling. And I really believe this, Irene. I think, you know, we want people to go to seminary uh, in some cases. We think, okay, you need to go to seminary and learn systems or whatever. And I I have my own feelings about that because I I went to seminary, but, you know, I, I don't know what they do now, but I'm thinking to myself, there's so much that's not taught there about what you actually need um, in your own life. And the, the reality is a lot of people just need counseling. They just need therapy. They need to they need to learn themselves before they go and lead other people because then what you're doing is you're bringing so much into the mix. I mean, I, again, I even my own father's life has informed so much of this for me, but I watched this, you know, this man who came out of the Navy and, and just so many um, raw experiences of his life. And he had such gifting on his life, but he had no coping skills. And he had so many experiences that had marked him, Irene. And so had he had some great therapy and and, and gotten well in many ways, his leadership would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. And so it just, I just think it's really important. One of the things that Joel and I discussed is that I think sometimes in in ministry, there are what I call acceptable addictions, okay, or more acceptable addictions, okay? And one of the things Joel and I discussed was food because, and this is getting tricky because we don't want to we don't want to food shame or, or, or weight shame anyone, but there is, I think sometimes if you look at pastors or ministry leaders, there, there, a lot of us can be, we can have a weight issue. And I think it's sometimes because we have chosen to eat our feelings rather than because we've known, okay, well, I don't want to get into porn or I don't want to get into to drink too much alcohol. I mean, I'm just bringing this out because this is, listen, we don't talk about this, but it's true. So we've said, oh, well, the acceptable addiction is let me just eat. Let me just eat myself to, to death here. And I think we're eating our stress. What do you think this idea about this idea of acceptable addictions or more acceptable addictions in ministry? I had a, such a problem with that when I was in my alcoholism, in my drinking, and I would bring it up to my husband on a regular basis. And I remember sitting in counseling when I was finally really developing some, um, some uh, just strength and to, to um, assert myself. So yeah. it, part of my recovery from codependency was beginning to assert myself. And I remember sitting there and saying, what's the difference between mm. me over drinking and my husband overeating? He was over 400 pounds at the time. We're oh, very wow. about this. did so not know that. About. Okay. He, uh, you didn't know that. So he nope. abused food oh, and I'm wow. like, what's the difference? And then she said, there isn't. Okay. So it's like, but it took him two years after I got sober, all the focus was on me, all the focus Mm -hmm. was I was drinking too much and that, and yes, it needed to be on me because I I needed help, but so did he. And he, so just as I couldn't see that I had a problem with alcohol, he couldn't see, even though his clothes were four X teetering on five X, he couldn't see it until he was in the hospital bed and uh, with congestive heart failure and son was looking over him and saying, all of this dad, you mean to tell me you might leave us all for some fried chicken. Mm, Wow. (laughs) You got to have thick skin in the Rollins family. We laugh at 
everything. <laughs> same okay. in our family. We are yeah. the same. Yeah. You got to yeah. fix it. Yeah. He's like, dad, for some fried chicken, like you going to die for some fried chicken. No yeah. way. Like, and j- it hit Jimmy. He's like, I'm going to miss graduations and my wow. kids g- growing up and all that for food. It's out of control. My life has become unmanageable. What's step one of 12 step programs. I admit that I have become powerless over you fill in the blank food. And yes, your life is unmanageable when you're dying of heart failure because you use food to satiate emotionally. So he finally did what um, I did two years prior to that, which was he reached out for help. He was like, he finally allowed me to help him. Mm. His ultimatum was the, um, was his body giving up on him. And I wondered all of those years, why didn't anybody confront him? Why was it only me saying, you know, Jimmy, you need to get healthy. Jimmy, you need to get healthy. Like it it was only the me. And I felt like the nagging wife. Yep. I'm like, why does everybody, you know, we're focused here on the shameful alcoholic pastor's wife. Yeah. What about the pastor that's 400 pounds? And I'm not saying that to shame him or make him look bad. I'm just saying like, why has the church made that an acceptable thing? Yes. Uh, yes. And that's, that's exactly what we were, t- that's exactly what we talked about. And, and I think it's tricky. It's really hard to talk about these things, but we need to talk about them. I think that people sometimes enable us too much in ministry mm-hmm. because I think there is a, a, a both and there's a spectrum here where you have people that are too hard on people in ministry and they're the ones that literally make us want to be in a fetal position in our closets and, mm-hmm. and really quite honestly are, they don't realize how difficult sometimes it is to be in ministry and to weather so much criticism and so many things at one time. Like I- I'm so tender to that because I've, I've watched it. I've seen it. I've, I've seen the tears. I I've cried them myself. It's, it's so hard to be in ministry. And on the other side, you're adored. And it's a very weird mind game because you're so adored by people in an unnatural way that, in many ways, they enable you, they excuse you that if you don't, if you're not monitored yourself by the Holy Spirit, that if you're not seeking calibration from the Lord, you'll allow that because who wouldn't want to be enabled in whatever you're doing? I mean, case in point, when I was, I remember when I told people that I was going to go on this one year shopping fast when I, um, when I knew that that had become out of control. And that's another acceptable addiction, by the way, mm-hmm. you, if, you, if you shop too much, there is nobody that's going to be like, Oh, that's, I don't think you should be doing that so much. The only time that becomes even a problem in people's minds is if you have out of control credit cards. And most of the time, nobody's going to know about that because you're going to keep that secret. You know, secret credit cards happens with especially women all the time. But, you know, I remember when I told people I was going to do it, the the prevailing statement, Irene, Mm -hmm. was, Oh girl, everybody shops. What do you mean? I love Target. I love Marshalls. I love, and they, they, you know, if you're a bargain shopper like me, then that's especially dumb. They're like, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't spend tons of money. You, you, what do you mean? You don't have maxed out credit cards. Then they're like, they don't see the cause and effect. So I think there is an enabling that we do with these acceptable addictions Today, millions around the world are suffering as a result of violence, oppression, and extreme poverty. Sometimes this endless cycle of suffering can feel overwhelming. If you're like me, you want to bring an end to the suffering. 
As a follower of Jesus, you feel compelled to make a difference in our hurting world, and you want your church to be a part of the solution too. But sometimes it's hard to know exactly where to start and who to trust. That's why I'm excited to tell you about The Path from our friends at World Relief. The Path is a community of bold, compassionate people of faith who are committed to fighting against suffering and injustice in pursuit of lasting change by partnering with World Relief through their monthly gifts to World Relief. Whether it is a crisis in Ukraine, an earthquake in Haiti, or an influx of refugee arrivals from Afghanistan, you can trust that the PATH community is already there, responding with the love of Jesus alongside you and your church. Thanks to the monthly support from the PATH community, World Relief is making a difference around the world, and you and your church can be a part of it. Join the PATH community of monthly givers by visiting worldrelief.org forward slash ministry strong. That's worldrelief.org. Org forward slash ministry strong. Be a part of the solution. Join the path at worldrelief.org forward slash ministry strong today. As a leader, do you ever feel like there's not enough of you to go around? Maybe you feel alone or that you're too busy helping others to tend to your own needs. Do you ever wonder who you should talk to about your life? If so, I want to tell you about Anchored Hope and the excellent counseling available to you today. Anchored Hope brings care and counseling to ministry leaders like you, as well as the people you serve. They offer convenient and confidential virtual counseling with professionally trained and theologically educated counselors. Choose a counselor based on a specific issue or contact the Anchored Hope team to ask for a recommendation based on your needs or partner with them as a ministry and utilize their services as a helpful extension of your team. As a shepherd and leader, you have to have a place you can try for your own help and healing. To explore counselors and schedule your first session, visit anchoredhope.co. If you use code MINISTRYSTRONG at sign up, you'll get 10% off all your sessions through 2023. Again, that's anchoredhope.co. And don't forget to use code MINISTRYSTRONG when you register. Here's what I want to know from you. What do you think is the tipping point where we are willing to lose ministries over the things that we have become so fond of, like, like mm-hmm. there's a tipping point there. Do you think we, we don't even realize it? You think it's a slippery slope or you think there's a moment where we're like, I know I'm going too far or is it different for everyone? I think it's different for everyone. Okay. That tipping point is different. It's w- what is exposure. Like I had no exposure to, I had no knowledge of the addiction spectrum. I had no, I wasn't trauma informed. I had no idea how trauma impacted the brain and what it would do to me. Like I, which is what let was part of the reason why I drank because I had undealt with pain, the whole emotional intelligence, emotional awareness. Like if we are not Pete Scarezzo says it so well, if we're not emotionally healthy, we cannot be spiritually mature, but we, grew up in my husband and I grew up in church where we just talked about the spiritual. We didn't talk about the emotional and we certainly didn't talk about the physical. So mm-hmm. it's like, all, but God is concerned about all of it. Yeah, It's all connected with, this is the whole body. Why are we just skipping out on certain parts of it? It's yep. mental, physical and spiritual and emotional, our hearts, it's all connected. So what my challenge is, 
to pastors, leaders of organizations out there is, are you willing to be accountable? No, I mean, truly accountable to someone Mm. where you can get honest and get real. Are we willing? See, we think we're going to get fired, so we can't ever tell anybody. But let me tell you, sitting in that secret, like you you know, spoke about earlier, like the secrecy of things yeah. is what can make us sick. We're only, yeah. we're, we're as sick as our secrets is the way my husband puts it. Yeah. And he is ex- like almost overly vulnerable sometimes. So I've come up with this um, thought that we should be transparent with many, but vulnerable with a few. Mm, so good. I'm not going to give the knife, give you a knife when I know you could stab me with it. Like I'm going to give that <laughs> to somebody who I know is not going to stab me with it. Like my That's pastor good. and things like that, that helped Jimmy and I get healthy. Like we had to get open and honest with them and be like, well, no, I really need accountability. There was a season in my sobriety. I couldn't sit near a bar. Now I don't care, but like I couldn't in the beginning. Cause I was, sure. I had the compulsion to drink. Mm-hmm. Jimmy got weight loss surgery. He needed a tool. I needed rehab. He needed gastric sleeve surgery. He's lost 150 pounds. He looks amazing. We're living our best life, right? Yeah. He needed a tool and yeah. he got accountable because you got to eat to live, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not like alcohol where I can just abstain. Right. He has to eat every yeah. day. So accountability, he can't stay emotionally healthy unless he's super in tuned and accountable to someone mm-hmm. about what puts in his body. So I don't think we're honest. I think we struggle with honesty as leaders. Yeah. We're not with ourselves and That's we're not with others. And if, and that is the tipping point, because if we can't be honest with ourselves, mm-hmm. we're going that, to err on sin, I think. And that separates us. That's so true. Irene, you know, it, your, your book talks about so much and I highly recommend you get it because it's, it's, it's really important. And it's really important for people who you serve because there are so many people that are dealing with shame over whatever they're dealing with. And, and I would, you can't be a leader until you address your own shame. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that I wish my father would have dealt with because I believe that if he would have done that, uh, he could have gotten well, and it could have saved him from a lot of heartache. You know, we, we lie to ourselves all the time and we mm-hmm. say, well, you know, I've got to hold it together. I can't be honest, but these things have a way of coming out. And that's why I think we've seen over and over again, especially in the recent years, all these sort of scandals, right. That have come out, but that's because, you know, secrets don't keep, they just don't. And eventually they come out and they're uglier than they far, far uglier than they would have been had we been a part of you know, releasing them. I mean, you talk about hiding, performing and pretending. And I thought to myself, is ministry the perfect place for an addict to be? Because hiding, performing, pretending, my word. I know. You know, help Help us, Jesus. And, 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 you know, here's the thing. God is bigger. God is bigger, Irene, than, than, all of the vices that come at us and threaten us, the ways that Satan attacks us, ministry mm-hmm. folks are real people that deal with real things. And I do believe, because I've watched it my whole life and I am a part of it, that that Satan comes at us 
tenfold. Because if he can take us out of the game, great. Then you don't get to you don't get to live your testimony and help see a, a someone at a restaurant be set free. Like, mm-hmm. great if he can say if he can you know marginalize you and keep you from it. But I do believe this is where that verse comes into play: that greater is He that is in you than is He to the He that is in the world. We preach this stuff all the time, man. But like, it's real. It's not. It's not a soundbite. It's it's either real or it's not. You know. I I just, I appreciate you so much. I'd love for you to just give a last word to someone who might be on the edge today. Maybe they're close to losing it. They're struggling it. They're, they're struggling. They're living in secrecy. They're, they have an addiction, whatever the case may be. Just give us a final word. Sure. I just want to encourage listeners that like, it does not matter anything that you're dealing with. You're not alone. Somebody else has been there. Somebody else has done that. And I don't believe the lie that you're alone Mm -hmm. because it is a 100% a lie. I'm in a step study group with uh, several pastor's wives. It's confidential. There are safe spaces for us to get real, for us to get vulnerable. We really um, become shame resilient when we can recognize shame and then we can speak to it. So we've got to be able to ask God for forgiveness, get honest with ourselves. So get honest with yourself is my encouragement because God already sees it. So ask him for forgiveness, reach out to another person so that the shame can lose its power. Mm. If you don't trust people around you, you don't trust your spouse even, then I'm, I'm nervous for you. But tr- talk to a counselor, talk to somebody who's a mandated to keep it a secret yep. and begin to unpack that thing so it doesn't lead to addiction like it did to mine. Remember, mm. addiction was the symptom of underlying mental health and emotional health issues. So that's my encouragement. Pastors, leaders, like let's get emotionally aware, trauma-informed, emotionally healthy. Because if those things are taken care of, once we've overcome, we can be more vocal and honest with our congregations and the people that are around us. And it, it won't, it loses its power. The enemy can't remind you of something that you already know. Like I already know I have a problem with alcohol. I can never drink again. doesn't make me bad. I've reframed that thing. So you can do the same thing. Do it in secret before it goes public. Mm. (laughs) Let me reframe that. Do it privately before it goes public. Yeah. With it in private before it deals with you Mm. and you end up going public. And that can be even more to have to heal from the humiliation of that. So I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. Reach out for help. Um, it, I'm sure people can reach out to you. You can get my book. I have a ton of resources in my book for leaders. Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, keep on keeping on, get honest, get free. We can't set others free until we get free ourselves. So you're not alone in this. So good. Such a word. So good. Thank you so much for being with us. And um thank you all for for listening this is this has been an incredible time go get irene's book it's really important so glad you were able to join me for this conversation with pastor and author irene rollins as a reminder we've linked in the show notes where you can follow irene and grab a copy of her book you want to check that out plan to join me right here again next monday when joel and i take on the heavy and important subject of church hurt and spiritual abuse on the ministry strong podcast do not miss it Ministry Strong is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts, produced and edited by Angie Elkins. 
Artwork by Caleb Peavy and Noel Rhodes. Original music by Robert Elkins. A special thanks to my Ministry Strong team. Thank you for your dedication and hard work. Your hosts of Season 1 are Lisa Whittle and Dr. Joel Matamale. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get strong in Him.